When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. Hiya, thanks for downloading the show. My name is Susan Kalman. I'm a comedian and this is my podcast, Mrs Brightside, a cheerful take on depression. Yes, comedy and depression. Bit of a weird one, isn't it? The thing is, I like to make misery funny and I think other people feel the same way. And I wanted to make this podcast because I think we should all talk more about our mental health and remove some of the stigma surrounding it. I've invited eight amusing people into a basement in Soho to bear their souls to me. I didn't have any questions. It's not a traditional interview. I just wanted to chat to them about what they thought about their own heads. There's no parameters. There's no definitions. It's just coming from them and me. Today, I'm talking to Al Murray. If you come on going, oh, look at you, wankers. Why are you laughing at this shit? And oh, it took me six hours to get here. And uh, mm-hmm. have you any idea how tired I am? And, and all that. And then if you add into that, and my wife's left me. <laughs> And then I then I suppose you can end up in sad cloud territory. Now you might know Al better as the pub landlord. I, I've never actually seen him do a show as the pub landlord. I just know him as a really nice fella I've met out and about at the Edinburgh Fringe. And I was really fascinated to hear his take on mental health and depression and it turned out it was even better than I thought it was gonna be. Any fringe dates this year, Al? No, I'm taking the year off. Good. Because we had a baby in December. Ah, a um, little baby. A little baby. So I've got an 18-year-old and a zero-year-old. <laughs> and the 18-year-old's all like, oh, it's one in, one out, is it? It's all that sort of thing. Yes. Because she's, she's, she has grown up and gone yes. and been replaced. Thank you for coming and sitting in a basement with me. Uh, it's great. This is a proper. This is what a proper one of these fringe radio stations should be like. It's yes. not in a big, shiny office, is it? It's, no, it's not. We're crammed into the available space yes. with a weird window in, inside the, a room. As the temperature rises, <laughs> yeah. it becomes more and more uncomfortable. Yeah. Which I think is the perfect place to talk about depression. Al. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to feel comfortable. That's good. So, I mean, the the what what this is. Mm. I'm I've I've been depressed. Yes. In my life. And I'm fascinated by other people's experiences of yeah. it, whatever that means. Yeah. There are no restrictions about what we talk about. Um I've been depressed and it's helped me to talk about it and yeah. talk to other people. Yeah. And Well, I'm always worried about talking about this. Um in my as a comedian, because I get very fed up with the idea that comedians all want to kill themselves. And yes. the idea of the sad clown all those things. They're journalism, those ideas about, the, you know, in my experience, comedians are the same cross-section of, of people as any, other, as any other group of people. You know, you've got, the, you've got the, the, the happy ones, the ones who are loyal, 
the shaggers, the the you know the the, the gloomy people. You, you you know you know what I mean. Yeah. Which obviously means that if there are cross section of people like any other cross section of people, there will be people who've suffered from depression just the same. It's not because they're comedians. You know, it's it's Tony Hancock kills himself. John Cleese goes on about being miserable, and suddenly we're all supposed to be the clown in that in that famous yes. joke. You know the, the the joke where the 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 guy goes to see the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist says, "Oh, you need to go see." You know, Maximo the clown, he's absolutely hilarious. He shines light where where there is none and all this sort of thing. He's absolutely brilliant. And then the guy goes, I am Maximo the clown or whatever. Yes. You know, and I, and, and I, I get, I get it's, it really it really frustrates me, it, almost as much as seeing a picture of a comedian holding a microphone. Um, the <laughs> idea that, that... With one hand in their pocket, oh, dear looking God. quizzical. There's a movie isn't at the moment, it's a Maxine Peake film about stand-up, which I'm sure is really Funny good. Funny Co, is it called yeah, Funny Co? Right. Yeah, that's right. The artwork is her holding a microphone. I mean, for fuck's sake, yeah. right? I can cope with the idea that she's a comedian without needing to see an SM58 in her... Fist. Anyway, but that's not the point. No. The, the point I'm making is, is comedians are, are as likely are as likely as anyone else. Not, is, not we're not exceptionally prone to to this sort of thing. And I and I really, I mean, it's interesting because we do do it. We we do do a job that, on the face of it, is much more stressful than a lot of um, a lot a lot of what people do for a living. You know, the idea of going out and talking in front of people scares the bejesus out of most people. Mm-hmm. But comedians, in that respect, aren't most people. A lot of them really like it. That's why they do it. They love it. They love yeah. the. They love the attention. Oh yeah, yeah, self-indulgent, you know. needy people. Yeah, exactly. Sociopaths, exactly. Yes, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're depressed. <laughs> no, it doesn't at all. But what it is is, um, in the same way, and I'm, I'm not meaning to have a go at journalists this yeah. early on in our conversation, yeah, yeah. but in the same way as, um, I'm constantly asked if women are funny. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, some women aren't. Some men aren't. Yeah. I've been to see many shows where I haven't laughed at all yeah, at yeah, some yeah. of the gentlemen. It's yeah, well, comedians. For that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I mean, uh, you tried to, you're very brave. Um, <laughs> it's it's, it's a, the binary definition. Now, what I do think about comedians is we are self-indulgent. We are yeah. given at the Fringe 55 minutes to talk about whatever we want. Yeah. And what's the easiest thing to talk about? Us. Me. Yeah. How I feel. Yeah. Although that that is the thing. I mean, again, I've never done that. I've always, because I do the character, I never, I'm never talking about how I feel about things at all. Or or, or not as not as directly. So you won't get a review that says, oh, and he goes on about what, you know, I'm not going to do what John Robbins did yes. last year and talk about a breakup. I can't, I can't do that. I don't, I've never, I've never really known how to, to do that, and and so it all everything I do has to go through this sort of um, filter. But that also means I could talk about things other than myself, which I think I'm much more comfortable not talking about myself. Yes. Certainly on stage, I'm not a kind of not a kind of bit of me is, doesn't see why anyone would be interested as well. Because uh, I got I very much became interested in performing as a way of constructing self confidence. Because um, when I was a teenager, I was a very uh, very self conscious. I got, went through a really like really like um, at a bit, at school assembly, I just assume everyone was looking at me. Not because because aren't I fabulous, but, yes. but because I think uh, my feet are too big and and I'm and I'm clumsy and I'm awkward and I'm uh, uh, lots of real s- sort of collapsing self confidence questions. And so I thought, well, if performing is a self confident act, I can construct self confidence out of out of performance. And I think that's sort of um, that is why I've ended up a stand up. It was a sort of a, when I remember being about fifteen, thinking perform this rather than rather than uh rather than do it for real in a in a weird yes. way 
and uh, <clears throat> and so that yeah, I, I, that's sort of that that's how I got into performing, and that's why I think on stage I don't do me and I don't talk about me, and or if I do, it's been so sort of it's been so sort of um, arrived at elliptically or, or taken and bent into something else that um, you won't you don't get a, a personal snapshot of me. On stage, yes, I, I I liked comedy for many reasons. I'd yeah. always wanted to be a comedian, and yeah. I don't really know why. Well, but I my I found a Billy Connolly tape on my brother's desk when I was twelve or thirteen, yeah. and I put it into my Walkman, and I didn't really understand it, but I just knew that this was the funniest thing I'd ever heard in my yeah. life. I mean, it really was. It was one of his early albums. Yeah. He was talking about walking down the street and partying and trying to find a party. Yeah. You know, absolutely classic kind of yeah. Connolly. Um. But in the 1990s... Well, great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was my first experience. Yeah. And then Victoria Wood. Yeah. So, essentially... Bloody hell. Yeah, I know. High high, high hopes. Yeah. Um, but in the 1990s, especially in Glasgow, especially as a woman, what stand-up? Yeah. It had fallen out of fashion. Yeah. On television as well. So, it wasn't there. And what attracted me initially about comedy was it seemed to be full of weirdos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Comedy's full of absolute, absolutely strange people. Yeah. And I loved that. Yeah. Well, that's still the, that's still the case. I mean, that was and that was definitely that was a huge attractor for me because I I got into doing got into doing comedy when I went to university when I went to Oxford and on my first afternoon, <laughs> I met Stuart Lee and Richard Herring because <laughs> I I I I, was, I had a drum kit and I was taking it to the college music room and they were in the they were in there and I said oh well you know hello um, I'm it's my first day what 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 are you doing and they said oh we're putting we've just been in at the Edinburgh Fringe because they're in the year above me. Uh, we, Stuart still acts like he is. Um, uh, yeah, we just put the end of the fringe and like we've done a show and, like, and all that. And they were and they were putting it on again in a couple of weeks' time. Try out their triumphant return to to, to yes. the university scene. And basically, I had a, you know light bulb. Oh, great! I could do that because I wanted to act, but I didn't have the I didn't have the self confidence to fail an audition for another someone like someone another student like me who knew who I reckon probably knew fuck all because mm-hmm. I, I I went you know I went to boarding school and the, all sorts of I've so I've all sorts of weird or issue, authority issues and if the drama teacher cast me in something I could cope with that but if someone my age who knew who I knew as little as knew as little as me yes didn't cast me I wouldn't I, my ego wouldn't have been a deal with it whereas getting up in front of an audience but I mean standing at the back with all the weirdos and freaks who wanted to do comedy? Yeah. It's like the back of the room, and then getting up in front of audience and them laughing is a much is, is is a much more direct way of finding out if you're good at something than learning some lines and doing an audition. And that that's what appealed to me. It was, it's like, and it's still like that. It's still waiting at the back with the with the weird people. Yes. And going on that 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 I mean, no matter what, no matter what where you end up playing, that that is the thing that remains the same. It that does. Thing. Yes. Yeah. That thing of it's always a curious thing. I don't think I, I agree with your initial theory <laughs> that comedians aren't all depressed. Yeah. Right? It's not yeah. the tears of a clown thing. It's just it's somewhere where weird people feel at home. Yeah. Therefore there might be slightly more of us simply because it's a place where yeah. we feel welcome. Yeah. We feel but, but welcome. But the times I've the times I mean I think I've probably I, there was a time where and it's for completely traditional reason I got divorced. We got divorced for for lots of sad reasons and i basically i completely unraveled because i as a touring touring so much as a comic having having home was enormously important to me it was like a it was it was the the, the most actually the most crucial thing um and the reason i was able to do it the reason i was able to go away is because i had home to come to and losing that um and you know 
when people get divorced, they try and they try, what, however they try and slice it. Someone is always less into it than the other person. You know, even no matter how amicable a situation appears to be, someone's more into it than the other, mm-hmm. and someone always feels like they're they're having to leave. And I was I was really I was completely smashed up by that for for a year, but at exactly the same time as when I was doing the biggest live stuff I've ever done. So I was doing arenas. And and so it's that thing you have to haul it, basically haul myself out of the dressing room, like and gut, gut, gut miserable, you know, yes. soul sad, yeah, everything miserable about me, and because you're on the road drinking every night, which doesn't help. No, it does not. Although it did not help <laughs> sometimes, you know, like sometimes it's, you just think I need, I got to, I got to medicate somehow. Yes. But I don't know if I, I don't know if I was depressed, but certainly uh, it's the the shittest I've ever felt. And and getting up and doing the getting up and doing the comedy was interestingly was two hours off from it. Yes. So two hours off feeling like dog shit. Two hours off thinking, how am I ever going to um, work my way out all of these problems? Is there an end in sight? Now, of course, being on tour also meant there was you know there was going to be a point where the tour ended, and I was and then I was going to have to go home, and there was no home. Yes. And that was all. That was incredibly difficult, and I found. Talking about that, quite useful. Mm-hmm. Although, um, and I did go, for, I did go for some therapy, but I found myself talking around in circles. I ended up really liking the therapist. I wanted to talk about other stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, we kind of got on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you end up, oh, you won't believe what I saw in the paper. And because and, 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 I can be, I, I can go off the subject quite quickly, as you probably realised. And and so I've and that was that was about it's about ten years ago and it was fucking terrible. Really, really like a year of being in a black hole. Yep. And uh I remember being completely stressed out once and, and the my doctor saying, Oh you need you need you need some beta blockers because you're going you're going apeshit because I was sort of adrenalized all the time by yes. it. As well as it's your fight or flight. Your yeah, yeah, body's yeah. fight or flight yeah, is yeah. saying, "I'm sad, so I'm going to fight all the time." Yeah, yeah. and you're on edge and anxious all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. awful. So I gave, so he gave me the beta blockers, and I took one, and that was even worse. That was like <laughs> being, that was like being in a diving suit, you know, like yeah, uh, horrible. And everything was slow, and I'm thinking, well, I can't go on stage in this state, right? Uh, you know, I tried them on a day off, so they went, they flushed them down the loo. Like those need to be nowhere near me, but I'm. As a performer, you know, you like I say, you get the two hours off, and then and then you and and then it's like, what, what, what the what the fuck do I do now with these feelings? Because again, you are you know after a show, I'm normally adrenalised, my head's still spinning because I've had to organise all the people and all the material, yeah, because of all the improvising and and all that. So it's at least three four hours where you're thinking, I'm I'm elated from the show and I'm and I'm miserable because I've got a home to go to. I don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen next in my life. All that sort of stuff. So and I was I was completely impossible to deal with for about a year, and I remember a couple of years ago my ex wife said to me, "Oh, you know, I was thinking of going seeing some. Could you get me some tickets to something?" And I'm thinking, "Well, I didn't know we I didn't know we did each other favors, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but so, but why? Oh, I want to go see some comedy. I haven't really been able to go and see anything, you know, since the divorce. And I'm thinking, well, you I remember thinking? Uh, well, in fact, I said to her, you tried fucking doing it, yeah." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> through all this. Yeah, for Christ's sake. So, and and the the I, I mean I, I've I've I, you know I've I've friends who are depressed and it's usually and it usually manifests itself in drink, in drinking. Yes, because uh, that's our our culture's go to, mm-hmm. isn't it? And in our job, 
being fair, oh. my first my first two fringes. Yeah. I I just I've never I've never been anywhere where you could drink till five in the morning. Yeah. And yeah. actually it's encouraged. It's part of what you do. Oh yeah, yeah. And now when I go to the fringe, I don't drink. Yeah. Because I did two or three years of pretty excessive drinking. Yeah. And what it doesn't help is a it doesn't help my performance. No. And what I always think is, and this is why I also love comedy. Um, I've been depressed. I've been, I've felt miserable. I've been whatever. Yeah. The people who've paid their money, often <laughs> many months in advance. Yeah, yeah. Could not give two shits if I'm feeling sad that yeah. day and should not give two shits yeah, yeah. if I'm feeling sad that yeah. day. And when I was drinking, I would get morose and it would affect... The, the, the subtleties of comedy fascinate me. When you walk on stage, people sense Oh, they know immediately. They, they, they smell it the moment you walk on stage. They know everything about um, what mood you're in. The, mo- the moment you... The, before you even get to the, you know, the, the, the mic stand. Yeah. Home, though, I mean, for me, home is one of the most important yeah. things. It is my sanctuary. It is my safe place. It yeah. is where no one can get me. No yeah. one can get me in my house. Yeah. And I jealously, and sometimes people, I say, I need to go home. Like, with a, a rabid desperation in my face. Because yeah. I know the point yeah. where I need to get home. Yeah. And it's, especially when you're touring... I mean, I was in Premier Inns. You were probably in better places than that, Al. Maybe. <laughs> Premier Inns, <laughs> where you wake up in the morning panicking because you don't know where you are because all the rooms look the same. Yeah. And that can add... And then you go out and you have to make people laugh. Yeah. And then afterwards, someone comes up and says, I thought you'd be funnier. Yeah. <laughs> and you suddenly go... Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you've really tried but that's your no one's business. None of that's anyone's business. You're absolutely no, right. It's I, no one's business. You're there to lead a service between the audience have come to come to uh, come to, uh, to be with a laughter god, and it's almost like you say to them, "We're part of a community because we've all got the same. We all kind of laugh at the same stuff because because you're here to see me. Yeah. So we all believe in the same things. We're all going to laugh together, and and it's almost like. There's all sometimes when you play, especially when you play really enormous gigs, like uh, over two thousand seats. There's almost a thing like where you you kind of say to the audience, mm. "Laugh now," and they laugh. Yes, and it's like you're the you're the literally the intercessor. You're the person between the audience and the laughter, and you're you're guiding them through the whole mm-hmm. thing. And Steve Martin talked about that in, the, in his in his book. I um, love his book, which is amazing. Yeah, 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 it's amazing. A fantastic book. Yeah, yeah, really amazing. And anyone is anyone who's interested in comedy should read it because yeah. because and the most brilliant thing about it is he says. Uh, at the start of the book, he goes, this is what happened to me. It bears no relation to anyone else's experience. Yeah. Um, this is just my how I figured out an act, how I got good at it, how I then took it onto the, a big stage, and then, then how I got fed up with it. And you read it, and you think, oh, that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's just like when I did this. And it and it and it's quite extraordinary. He says at the end of the book, and I remember reading this when I was at the O2, and I was really, uh, this is when I was mega miserable, and, and finding the arena gigs completely counterintuitive because we had screens up so you think i've got to do a big performance because there's thousands of people here and they're miles away but then you're on a you're in a medium close-up so they can see they can see everything so you've got to do a tv performance and it's quite confusing and it takes two or three four or five to get used to and also the front row are as far away as you are from me but they're all looking at the screen over to the left or to the right and it's complete and it's like all your normal instincts theatrical theatre instincts big theatre instincts go out the window anyway so I'm sat there reading this and I was really grumpy about doing these gigs and, and 
and we were filming that I was pissed off with the lighting guy and all this sort of thing, really having a miserable time. And, and, and there's a bit in the book where he says, where I went wrong with those arena shows was I was trying to do my comedy the way I figured it out. And actually, you're there to be the host of a party. They've mm-hmm. come to have a big party and you're there to be the host. And if they want the old jokes, give them the old jokes. They want the things they love, give them the, give them the things they love. Because because they they don't realise that, that, you know, you thought of that joke at 4am and, and you really love it and it's got to be this way around. They just want to hear it, right? Get over yourself. And um, and that that was really, you know, and I read this at my last, in the interval of my last reach, oh, fuck! I've been, I've been going about this wrong. That long involved bit, I shouldn't have done that. You know, why did I? What did I do that for? You know, and why did I put that in? It was quite mean, and I should have left the mean bit out and all this sort of thing. And uh, and that I think that that's the point. Is that you, you, just like you say, the audience they don't give a shit. No, they are they and are shouldn't, bothered, and, and, and shouldn't and shouldn't give, and give you should shit. and you should take that into account. You should always have that, and, you know, and also that because when I, I mean. When I started out, there was a very self-destructive trend in um, in stand-up. You know, if people got there were some people if they get laughs and then they go, "What are you laughing at that for, you idiots?" As kind of and it's sort of that as a kind of a post-punk thing. You know, people didn't like polished performance when I started, and they weren't in, into things being too slick. And they were, and there was a, that sort of post-modern thing of of saying, you know. What, what on earth did you laugh at that for? That joke was rubbish and you laughed. You know, that kind of, it was that kind of thing. And it was, and it was sort of, it was kind of tied up in male self-confidence as much as, as much as anything else. And, um, and that was a really, that was a really predominant view. And I remember, I remember um, at the time when I first started, I think, what the heck, why are you doing that? You know, audiences, audiences, they don't want to be made, they want to be told they're idiots for laughing at something. They don't want to, they don't want to, they, want, they, they don't want their noses rubbed in it. Mm. And all that sort of thing, and 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 you know, comics can de- 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 develop snobbery about kinds of comedy, and they and they, in fact, can they will they do yes, but it's all it, you know why, <laughs> and often enough, often enough, we develop snobberies about the kind of comedy we can't do. So I can't do I can't do the personal thing. Yeah. So I'm a bit like, well, why why does anyone do that? Why does anyone bother <laughs> talking? Make some stuff up, you wankers. Is what was sort of my reaction to that. And in fact, that's just because just because I can't do it. Yeah, it's like I can't. You know, I think Brendan Byrne said that most comics end up doing the thing they're good at rather than the thing they really believe in. And it, it turns out to be a coincidence that the thing they really believe in is the thing they're good at. You yeah. know, just Tim Vine doesn't talk about himself. He's just he's just daft, yeah. mad daft puns for an hour. I don't I don't think that's because because he. Started something. in comedy and thought, I'm going to end up doing this. It yeah. just turns out he's incredibly yeah, that's talented. Yeah, that's what he's yeah. brilliant at. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I don't know. So, yeah, but there is that thing. You've got audiences, they don't, they don't, and you're absolutely right, especially if they bought tickets, tickets months in advance. Yeah. And it's a big occasion. They've dressed up and they've had dinner beforehand and all that sort of thing. And if you, if you come on going, oh, look at you wankers why are you laughing at this shit and uh, have you took me six hours to get here and uh, mm-hmm. have you any idea how tired i am and and all that and then if you add into that and my wife's left me and then i then i suppose you can end up in sad clown territory but but i uh, you know is it is a it, but but it's you're like the hotel receptionist in a way the hotel receptionist should be always always pleased to see you it, yes it, we're in a service industry. <laughs> yes. I think the thing is, I mean, mental health wise, anxiety, mm. and, and, by the, and that can stretch to being overly self-analytical. That's, yeah. I, I've been, I'm fascinated like you are with the aspect of comedy as as a stage form. And yeah. 
I uh, I've been fascinated by Victorian spiritualism all my life. Right. Absolutely fascinated by it. the Fox what, Sisters, the... table tapping. And oh wow, brilliant! I, I, I mean, I I can't. I I just think it's fascinating. Yeah. The, the origins of it, why they did it. Yeah. Tied up in all this kind of Victorian repression yeah. and everything else, and I go and see spiritualists a lot. Right. Wow. Um, because they, I mean, uh, hashtag not all spiritualists. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I've seen some remarkable performances, which yeah. are simply performances yeah, yeah. where they are making stuff up. Yeah, and, yeah. You know what? But they're empaths. Yeah. And I think the best comedians are empaths. Yeah. Because they walk on stage, and you can, you know, yourself. You can feel an audience. Your first joke. How did that? Okay. Yeah. They're reticent, they're drunk, yeah. they're whatever it is. And I think in that way, comedians are like spiritualists. Oh, the old-fashioned spiritualists. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I th- that that That's absolutely right. That's when, when Tom Bin started doing that, Ian de yes. Montfort. It, it's, oh, it's just, what he's doing is he's doing, it's brilliant, that act. It's really, yeah. really funny. And what he's doing is he's basically doing crowd work, stand-up crowd work, but it's, but it, but he's, it, you only have to change it, you have to tilt it Five degrees left, and it turns into turns into spiritualism. Is there anyone here called John? John, you're not happy with your job, are you? I mean, it, it, how easy is that? And 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 yeah. no, you're absolutely right because because yeah. I do so much crowd work, and very often I'll I'll say to someone, forget the right. Sometimes you get this, you just get this thing, and you get the right kind of person. You say you've got a black Labrador called mm-hmm. Max, haven't you? And he goes, well, no, it's called Buster. And you and you and you're there. You've done. It's exactly the same thing. And and if you're and, and the other thing is, is practice. With that makes perfect because because normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You just get used to swimming in... The audience feelings and mm-hmm. vibes and all that sort of thing. That that's a very uh, yeah spiritualist. Uh... But when you look at so what a spiritualist does. Yeah. What there's one in particular I went to see. Best night of my life. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for. I'm looking for. I'm looking for uh, a vet. I'm looking for a vet. Is there someone called a vet in the audience? Is a vet here? I'm looking for a vet. A vet's definitely here. Yeah. And someone went. My name's Marion, and I work in a vet. That's you. That's who I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. That's who. And it Fucking was like bingo. Jesus Christ! But what they do? That's brilliant. Yeah. It was. I mean. And then at the end of the <laughs> show, this particular spiritualist said, "Does anyone have any questions?" And I put my hand up, and I don't know what he didn't ask me. I don't know whether he could tell, <laughs> um, because I, I very much believe in other things yeah. and remnants of soul and all that all kind right. of stuff. I mean, I think there's definitely we are fascinating human beings, yeah. and something happens. But I also believe in shysters. Yeah, and so he stands there in exactly the way I do. Yeah. Okay. Who's on the front row? Right. You look like you're trouble. 
You've yeah. been dragged here. That's yeah, why yeah. I get a lot. Men dragged by wives. Yeah. You've been dragged here. Yeah. You're not happy about it. Yeah. Right, okay. And you look, and in the same way as the spiritualist did, yeah. who's an easy target? Yeah. Not an easy, I don't mean that patronising. No, no, soft, just, just... Who's going to be who open to be, conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who am I going to be to work with better? And yeah. I, I love it because I love... I love Victoria. I love the Victorians. Yeah, I love Victorian lunatic asylums. Yeah, I find, I find what their psyche at that point fascinating. Well, that's yes. I made a, I made a, I made a program about Victorian lunatic asylums a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, because um, my uh, this is the Wikipedia fact about me. My great 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 grandfather is William Thackeray, right? Who wrote Vanity Fair, yeah. and his wife suffered. Probably postnatal depression after their second child, and I think they had a third child died. I can't remember. I ought to know. My mum will go. Oh, he doesn't know the family history, <laughs> right? And he did everything he could to get her cured. That that Victorians would do, but early Victorians. So, so not not people tend to. I think think of Victorians as the sort of austere end of you know the the end of the century rather than the middle of the century. And he took her to to France to this. Um, to this uh, 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 it wasn't an insane asylum. It was a, it was a it was a hospital where they believed in a in a in a cure for people suffering from from you know it, what they called insanity, where they were asked to look after themselves and they'd live in a house and they'd they'd do talking cure and they'd be they'd live in the countryside and they'd be taken to a stress free environment and then that didn't work, right? And then they took her to. Um, and then he took her to Germany for a water cure where there was a guy who believed that basically if you, you were doused in water, and cold water endlessly and drank loads of water, it would basically wash yep. whatever was causing the insanity out of you. That mm-hmm. didn't work, right? And then, and then they, did some, they went back to Paris and did some cupping stuff. And, and, then, they, and then she ended up, she ended up in um, uh, basically just being looked after by, by a family. That he paid for, and so Thackeray's Thackeray lived lived this peculiar life where he he um, all he ever wanted because he he'd inherited a load of money and blew it when he went to university when he went to Cambridge on gambling. All he ever wanted to get back to that financial state, but he couldn't do it because he had to pay for his wife's care and all this sort of thing. And so he was always churning out novels to try and meet this care requirement. Anyway, so so you have that, and what happened was the Victorians started off by thinking they could cure. Insanity and had the sort of optimism of science and the new new scientific discovery and all that. And by the end of the century, it basically gone. Ain't nothing we could do about this. Mm. And so people would end up incarcerated for life. And you end up with the, the asylums start out those mega buildings. You know, start out as places of healing, and end up basically as jails. And it's um, it's very strange. And then and then the the really odd thing about this: Thackeray's daughter then married a guy called Leslie Stephen, who was Virginia Woolf's father in his second marriage. And they had a... So I've got a cousin, this cousin, Laura, Laura Stephen. And she was born with probably a learning difficulty or or something. Because none of the, you can't do any, any of the retrospective diagnosis. And she was... He basically... He was like a... He was a thrusting Fabian uh, Victorian liberal thinker. Couldn't cope with the fact he had a daughter who had basically what was... He thought it was... From a grandmother, from from Thackeray's wife, yes. thought it was the, it, the stain, you know, the yes, uh, the curse, the, gen- the yeah, the, yeah. Li- genetic, literally, the literally curse. the stain, yes, absolutely, yeah, uh, and and so he had Laura. They couldn't cope with Laura, and they put it. They, she ended up in a mental hospital, and then she ended up. She died in, you know, spent a whole life in institution. Died in the Priory in 1944, like abandoned by a family, mm-hmm. uh, and and so 
I mean, I, whenever Vin, Virginia Woolf comes up on on things, I always think, yeah, what about your what about your sister, you <laughs> fucker? You know, because she's sailed as yeah, and they abandoned her. they abandoned Laura. They put her in hospital, abandoned her, and all that is that is it's fascinating because you know we're now here we are here we're, we're talking about you know via discursive discussion about comedy. We're yes. we're talking about mental health. It's being discussed. Where people are trying to figure out what to do about it. There was, a, there was an article in the Times at the weekend, the, the, this depression idea that it's in body, bodily inflammation, so it's a fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. You know, that our, the, the stress is, our reaction to stress hasn't changed, but the stresses we face has changed. So the body's, the body's trying to deal with fear and fright and, and being, being knocked off balance. And the end result of that is depression because there's an excess of a reaction because we're stressed all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are talking about it, all that. Was what the Victorians did is they went, Oh, ain't nothing we can do about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. And lock, lock people away. And that is that is really, you know, it's, I suppose that's progress, but but you, there's still a stigma, there's still taboo, there's still There is a stuff. stigma. And whenever, I mean, part of this is simply talking about it mm. is better than the brutality of what happened, which is if we ignore it, yeah. then it's not there. Yeah. Uh, but what fascinates fascinates me about the Victorians. Those asylums are just fascinating structures. And I spoke to Kevin oddly about this on Strictly because they always had a ballroom. Yeah. And so you had this tremendously brutal treatment of people at times. Electroshock therapy, hydrotherapy, terrible things, lobotomies. And then you would have a ballroom. And I, I remember I did some work with a mental health course at one point and, and a woman on it we were saying to them come up with sketches because what's great about comedy is you don't need to write it down Yeah. so you, you don't need to have literacy necessary to tell what you want yeah. to say and she did this brilliant sketch because she'd been in a um, a hospital of how differently people dance on different medication Brilliant. and I, it was lovely and I love the idea that the Victorians no matter what was happening had these ballrooms yeah because that's what you did yeah and i find it i just find them fascinating and what what also i I did a documentary not that long ago about the decriminalization of homosexuality and as part of it looking at the treatment of gay people and we were getting electroshock therapy until fairly recently because it was a mental illness being gay and it's fascinating that the the reason why I'm so evangelical about talking about it is so that we don't ever return to those yeah. days yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. yeah, but you've got the the. I mean, I don't know. My my, my daughter's generation. My my oldest daughter's eighteen. She won't mind me talking about this. She's she's had her ups and downs, and you you <laughs> like so many things with teenagers, but with people is it's you lead in order to deal with it. You lead the horse to water, but you can't get them to drink. And um, you know, therapy famously, you've got to want you've got to want it to work. Yes. And one of the things, if you are depressed, one of the things that depression really wants is to remain in charge. Um, uh, and I know that's called personalising or whatever. But but the depression, the depression isn't in, isn't interested in going away. It isn't interested in you doing anything about it. So we'll say to you, there ain't no point doing this therapy. Nothing's going to work. Mm-hmm. And and. And that is, I mean, you know, the, the therapy I've had, I went into going, right, I'm going to, this is going to fix me. Mm-hmm. That That's a better attitude. It's not necessarily a realistic attitude, but it's a better attitude than the, than, um, 
going and going with your arms lit with your arms folded figuratively and literally you know it's going yes. it's going what's the point <laughs> what's the fucking point of this but I then think, that's what yeah. depression does is depression goes no no way you're not you know it's like like with like people who drink i mean i always think again we come back to drink drinking is always it, it, it is is the drinking is the is the is if you if someone's drinking a lot they're miserable there's there's that's really kind of the only explanation and um and drinking is such i mean i, I you know i stopped last year i stopped for a bit because because i'd got to the end of a summer holiday and then a, and then a fringe and i did 10 days at the fringe last year and basically i've been i've been and we were on a long summer holiday and i'd been pissed for f- five weeks six weeks pretty much right you know yeah not not pissed pissed every night but but i'd drink Gently drink, pissed. Drink every night yes. and then fringe pissed as yes. the sort of as the sort of like like a ski like a ramp going up the going up the ramp. By the end of the by the end of the festival, by the end of the fringe, I'd be, you know I, every night I got shit faced, and I and I thought right, I really actually need to I'd actually need to stop, and you know so I did triathlon or something, you know one of those things, mm. and I remember the first week, and the thing is is. This is one of these things you don't notice it until until you go through it. The first week, there was a little voice going, "This decision would be easy to make if you had a drink. This um, and not worrying about that would become a lot easier if you had a drink. You know what would go really well right now with, and and it wasn't to do with, um, hey, let's have a good time. That wasn't what the little voice was saying. The little voice was saying, if you had a drink now, you would you'd worry less about that deadline. If you had a drink now, um, you could put off doing your diary." till tomorrow or the vat or whatever and all the and also and and then you realize what the booze has has been doing all this time mm-hmm. that the good times aren't the good times don't enter into your thought process with drinking at all it's to do with the, the grip it gets on you is yeah. you if you if it, it, you this will all go away it, literally anesthetic and i remember and i remember i thought right well they're Best way to deal with this is I'll write about it. So sit down, sat down, and wrote wrote about this because I I'm, I'm a big I'm a big believer in, you know, order your thoughts, process them, and the best way to do it is write write. So I sat down and wrote about it, and that made it that made the little voice go away. But I had a full week of the you know, yes. and this is from a week. This is from a summer of getting pissed because I was on a holiday and it's the festival, not because I'm freaking out about stuff or stressed about stuff or nervous about going on stage or worried about. Paying the bill, you know, you know what I mean. Mm. None of those things. But when you take the drink away, you realise that that's what that's what it's lined itself up to do mm-hmm. in your psyche. And they, and actually, the only way to the only way to deal with that is to is to is to stop and say to the little voice, "Get fucked." Yeah. <laughs> you you have no business in my in my brain. One of the things that um, I'm very careful about how much I drink. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with alcohol, but I'm aware of the fact I could. Yeah, yeah. So I have an addictive personality, yeah. right? So I've only been to a casino once. <laughs> I went uh, when I went. I went to. I love Elvis. Yeah. So I went to Graceland's and Wonderful. Tupelo, Mississippi, yeah, and yeah, all that stuff. I yeah. went on an Elvis pilgrimage, yeah. and I ended up at a casino. Never been to a casino before yeah. in my life. A proper casino, no windows, free food, free yeah, drink. Yeah, yeah, you know, the proper whole, American whole casino. nine yards, yeah. And I think I spent. And this was in the mid nineties, about six thousand pounds in an evening. Bloody hell. Because I just put my credit card and went, I this is the most amazing thing I've ever done. I only paid it off that credit card off about ten years ago. Yeah. And I that morning Brilliant. when it was over, yeah. went, You can never go in a casino yeah, yeah. again. Yeah. 
you must never gamble. You must never do anything. Yeah. And I, I see, not in my family, but alcohol is affected very badly, people I know. Yeah. And I know myself. And the fringe was kind of what brought it to light. I could really do this all the time. And when I've had a terrible show, just go and get pissed. Yeah. And had it's a good a, show. Yeah. Go and get pissed. Go and get pissed. <laughs> you haven't got a show, go and get really, pissed. You might as well get pissed. You might yeah. as well get yeah. pissed. Yeah. And it's it's a strange thing. And when I started doing comedy, I'd never been around so much alcohol in my life. Yeah. I mean, we work, especially when you're starting off on the circuit. Yeah, it's in, a pub. pubs, yeah. It's a pub. Yeah. And I think having the awareness of... So when I tour now, I try and have a weekend a month at home. Yeah. I Once a month, I'll book myself into a hotel that's not a premier inn. Yeah. So I feel better about myself, yeah. and you get kind of better yeah. at taking care of our heads. Yeah, I, the the better hotels don't necessarily solve the problem. I um <laughs> um I <laughs> uh, this happened this happened ages ago, but 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 it's exactly illustrative of your of, of your point. There's the Hotel Devan in Birmingham, a very nice hotel, right? And I've stayed there. I've stayed there a lot, and now we don't stay there anymore because they had a they put me in this room. Uh one time and then we went back 18 months later and I, and I go in the room and it's the same room right and it and it really because it's got a really odd layout and it and it because they tend to convert office blocks or whatever and it really spooked me I was really spooked by it being the same room mm-hmm. and I had a complete total recall of being in the room last time the time before what music I'd listened to exactly which tunes I'd listened to on my mm-hmm. iPhone and all this sort of thing and I got and I got properly spooked by it really like like actual Groundhog Day feelings, and I went down to the bar, and it's the same barman, and he and he pours me a glass of what I'd had last time. It's like it was like welcome back. It was like The Shining. Welcome yeah. back, Mister Torrance. You've yeah. always been here, right? And he says, uh, "How you doing, Al? Good to see you. Um, uh, what you've been up to since I last saw you?" And I and I and I said, uh, and I said, I don't know. I don't know what I've. The, the, it's been the same. The same since, and it the eighteen months in between were completely compressed, disappeared, and it's like I'd never left. And and so so <laughs> so the next time we stayed there, I'm like, I am staying in a different fucking room. I'm not staying in that room. And they put me in another room, which is the floor above, which is identical, right? Because it's the floor above, identical mm-hmm. layout. And I kicked off, and I went down to reception. You've put me in the same room as last time. They get the records out, and they go, "We haven't, sir." And they're like, "You yes, you did." And I really, and I really, um, I really behaved quite badly. And they, you know, a, a bit like the audi- the comedy audience, they don't know that. They don't yeah. know, you, you know yeah. what I mean? They don't understand why. Mm-hmm. And I really, and I was really, are you bastard? You know, like really unhappy about it. So we don't stay there anymore. But but it's that thing of, um, that groundhog thing. It completely, it completely, uh, it really knocked me, really knocked me sideways. It's, uh, <laughs> it's sometimes very difficult. Yeah, oh, poor, the poor comedian, poor no. luxury hotel whinges. Oh, God, they put me in the same yeah, room. Yeah, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, 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 when yeah, I'm stressed, I... When I'm I'm stressed right yeah. now. My book's due tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm stressed about a lot of things yeah. just now. Very stressed. And when I'm like that, I don't deal with things particularly well. Right. So I've started exercising a lot. I do boxing and weightlifting, right. and it's really helped because I just yeah. I love it. And I was at a class, and I was I was throwing a medicine ball, and I wanted a lighter one because I'm a fanny. Yeah. And the gym instructor came up and said, why are you using that ball? Because I've injured myself in the past. You don't know me. You don't understand me. Why don't you leave me alone? And the guy was like, all right. 
No, he doesn't. He thinks no. I'm a total dick. Yeah, he just. But it's actually dick. because when I'm in that zone, the smallest thing can make me just. And they don't know I've been up at five o'clock every no. morning for three weeks trying to write a sodding book about happiness. No. You know, but then you react. Well, if one of the things going to make you unhappy, it's doing that, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's making me desperately <laughs> unhappy. <laughs> Having to write chapters about how happy I am all the time <laughs> is making me so unhappy. <laughs> but I just, for me, I said in the first book that I wrote, comedy saved my life. Yeah. Not just the weirdos I hang out with. The ability to express myself. But I find it a stimulating thing. Yeah. I have a passion for the science of what we do. Yeah. But when I have an audience that comes in, I hang out the wings and I look at them. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. I love looking at people. And I try and see, who am I going to talk to? Are you going to enjoy this? Oh, see, I don't you do know. that. I go on I go on without, I don't want to know I, I look at them. I go on and go on bang and, and take it on the chin. No, I look at them. I look at them in the lobby sometimes. I look at them in the car park. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I study them. I study them. That's interesting. To see uh, if I can see there's lots of groups. So, I mean, my audience, there's a lot of lesbians, yeah. as you can imagine. Yeah. A lot of Radio 4 listeners. Yeah. And I find my audience quite a strange demographic. Yeah. So I look at them and I think, I do think... I wish I was a mind... I, I hate the fact that Tom Binns is a mind reader and I keep wanting to talk to him about it. <laughs> I'd love to do a show where I genuinely try to see if I could push things that for that well, next step. Cold reading's a set of techniques, though. Yeah, I so love it. you just got to learn them, haven't you? Yeah, but I love, I love the idea. I love... I love... I'm f- I had a dream to stay in every Grand Victorian hotel. Yeah. And cool. I just... I love... I love... Yeah. The one in Clandad Note is extraordinary. Yes, it is, yeah. Um, you stayed in the one in um, Buxton that overlooks yes. the city. Overlooks when the I was in Llandudno, there was a guy on a Bon Tempe in the bar Brilliant. playing, singing both parts of Islands in the Stream, <laughs> one of the greatest nights of my entire life. Um, but I find what we do, I think the reason I love comedy is because I still find it fascinating. I'm not bored by it. Yeah. And we continue to change. We could change what we do, create things. And yeah. it, makes us an, it makes it interesting. I, I literally think we should do a travel show of you and me in a caravan going round old <laughs> Victorian lunatic asylums. Oh, Channel God, 5 brilliant. will buy that in a second. Channel 5 all, will buy that. They're all flats now. They've all been turned into desirable accommodations. So, some, of them, some of them have, but we can find the ones. There's a lot of disused ones in um, Scotland. There's an amazing one in Lewisham. Yeah. Um, Yorkshire's got quite a few yeah. ones, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. I mean, they're like... Um, they're like abbeys from from the dissolution of the monasteries. Mm-hmm. They're like they're like dissolved monasteries now. They're like massive institutions that people went through that supposedly were there to be pastoral and beneficial, and now they're defunct. They kind of they've kind of got that echo. I love anything that's abandoned. I'm obsessed yeah. by abandoned places. Yeah. We started off, as I say, just before we finished talking about self confidence being yes. one of the reasons why you started comedy. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that it has helped that self confidence? Did did you get what you wanted? Uh, no, it's still a construct. So the, the the confidence I have is still based on this based on this construct. And sometimes I have sometimes sometimes I find it useful to remind myself that in in a, in a way I haven't got any self confidence. That the thing to do is, you know, to sort of repeg it and go. Well, the reason you got into this was to was to deliver yourself a version of self confidence. But in lots of ways, you have no confidence in what you do. And and that's reflect. I mean, I play I play the drums, but I've never studied it really hard and I know why it's because what I'm worried about is running into the things I can't do which would shatter ever wanting to do it again so 
So I've learned the thing. I, there's, there's things I can do. I've learned learned a way to play. I've got a way of playing. And it suits me because if I really apply myself, I've realised that I haven't got the I haven't got the coordination. I haven't got the 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 actual full on musicality. That and I know lots of I know lots of professional musicians that the thing they did where they practiced for eight hours a day from when they were nine to when they were eighteen. You know, I never did that. I bluffed. I'm a bluffer, and bluffers often are bluffing because they have got no confidence in what they're doing. So they, they muss it out. They bluff. They, they erect they erect a sort of uh, papier-mâché thing that ought to be a solid object, you know. And I, I, I very much feel like that often about what I do. I mean, with stand-up, it's different because I, I put the hours in. I did. I actually applied myself. You know, I did the, I did the time. I did the obsess. I'm still doing it if I have to. When I've got to, if I had to write a show for the end of the summer, that's what would happen. The blinkers go on, eyes down. I'd write the darn thing, I'd learn it, I'd buff it up, perfect it and everything. But everything else, it just feel it you know, it's it feels like and and, and my friends would probably lots of my friends would probably disagree, but that's how I feel about myself is that my self-confidence is a, is a it's a construct mm-hmm. and it's a construct because of an essential lack of uh lack of confidence, a feeling I can't possibly do that. I can't possibly pull that off. I'm not up to it. I'm not as clever as the clever people i'm not as musical as the musical people and all that and and it's kind of in a lack of it and i and i but i think if you know that about yourself if you're addressing that then but not getting bogged down in it mm. you're probably okay but you know it's also a midlife thing you get i'm i'm turn i turn 15 in a fortnight and you start thinking what's it all about yeah. you know mm-hmm. when you when you're 30 you think yeah 20 years of stand up that yeah that sounds like the dream ticket now it just feels like oh fuck me right? when i meet to 18 year olds just starting out in comedy and they're like i'm thinking i i've i started my pension three years ago i haven't put enough in it that's yeah. that's what yeah, i'm yeah. thinking now yeah, 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 yeah. i'm not thinking about anything else yeah, yeah i'm thinking when am i going to pay the in- when am i going to pay the interest uh, on the when it's in it why yeah. you know i've got an interest in the mortgage when am i actually pay the mortgage off? Yeah. you know like the, that's what i'm thinking yeah. and, and no absolutely and, and is that, is that three tours or is that going to have to be five because mm-hmm. if they're because because five's ten years you know <laughs> how many corporates do i need to do to get the garden done yeah exactly that's essentially what i'm exactly. thinking well i'm you know my eldest is at uni and yeah. that's expensive yeah so i think well I, I better say yes to the those, those corporates that i don't want to do <laughs> um i'm going to get your agent's number off you and i'm going to pitch you and me in a caravan going around <laughs> lunatic asylums that's i think i mean idea. we tick we tick lots of boxes i mean i'm regional yeah and gay yeah. And you're Al Murray. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank no, you very, very much. very nice to Cheers. talk. Yeah. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you download your podcast from, and then you'll automatically get next week's episode. Next week, I'll be talking to Sophie Willen. I went through a phase where I dressed up as a cat for ages, an angry cat with kind of emotional problems, which really was just me with the emotional problems. <laughs> and I was discussing it through this cat... This cat who was allergic to dairy products. It was a really... <laughs> oh, Sophie, that sounds like the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. If you like the show, do leave us a review, as that will help other people find it too. And if you want to get in touch, then you can email Brightside at bbc.co.uk. And finally, we know this podcast talks about things that might have affected you or someone you know personally. If that's the case and you'd like some further info, head to the Mrs Brightside page on the BBC website and we'll put up some links to places you might find useful. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, Calman out.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.